tonight's reading is going to be James chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Again, that is James chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 15. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finishes work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. While the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot, temp cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. In a world full of deception, people are desperate for the oxygen of authenticity. The book of James is about authentic faith. Authentic faith that rejoices in trials and tribulations, rather than being blown and tossed like the waves in the sea. Authentic faith is real rather than deceptive. It's not like the man in the mirror who stares at his face and then forgets what he looks like. People with real faith are not just hearers of the word, but are doers. Authentic faith does not include favoritism, inaction, or laziness. It's a faith that works. It's a faith that patiently waits for the Lord's return and knows that life is like a mist, appearing just for a little while before it vanishes. Authentic faith perseveres in prayer. The book of James is about authentic faith. The question is, do you have faith and is it authentic? All right, good evening. My name is Joel, one of the pastors here at Wollongong Baptist Church. I'm going to unpack James chapter 1 for us in a second. Uh, but before we do, I just want to say... Uh, that as your pastor, if you're a regular member here at this church, that I'm really thankful for you guys. 
Uh, I've just been reflecting upon the last week, uh, specifically last week we didn't meet here but we actually met at the university for G4G. Uh, there's about 120 of our people there, approximately 20 people were guests who uh, don't know Jesus and want to know more about Him. So that's just really exciting. Uh, but then as, of course what Mark shared this week, we had Discover, once again, lots of people there that want to know about Him. Had baptisms only a few weeks ago and, and hearing Sam's testimony. Uh, on Thursday night at Discover, I was just looking around the room and I was just thinking, man, what a privilege and a joy it is to be a pastor at this church. So uh, I think it's the same for Rod and for Mark. And so we just want to say that we're thankful for you guys. Uh, I just wanted to share the love uh, to kick off. Um, saying that, I've now got a question for you. Uh, one that I want you to think in your head. And the question is this. We'll come up on the screen. Do you value, or maybe it won't come on the screen, but do you value authenticity? Do you value authenticity? My guess is you do. But, and the reason why I think that is because a lot of people in our world value authenticity. To begin with, in the realm of leadership. I don't know if you've read a book on leadership recently, uh, but whenever you buy a book on leadership today, one of the top values of a leader is someone who's authentic. Specifically, in the Harvard Business Review in 2015, this is what they said about leadership. They said, authenticity has emerged as the gold standard for leadership. It's not just leadership that authenticity matters as well. It matters in marketing. I wonder if you've noticed this in the last 10 years, how marketing has changed. I was reading this week about marketing. In particular, I came across this quote, which I thought was helpful. And it said this, it says, What matters to people is not flashy ads, big promises, and the wow factor. Today, in regards to marketing, what matters is that people want authentic messages, authentic brands, and authentic interactions. It's shaping how marketing is being done today. Authenticity is a buzz word not only for businesses and leadership and for marketing, but also for psychology, for self-help advice. I'm guessing most of us have uh, heard of Oscar Wilde's quote, which comes on the screen. It's quite a good one. Uh, Be yourself because everyone else is taken. It's a pretty good quote. I like it. It's pretty helpful. Um, Personally, I actually like a quote that's a little bit more helpful. This one will come on the screen too. Uh, Always be yourself unless you can be Batman. And always be Batman. Personally, I mean, that's better advice, but you can get the gist of it. My, my guess is, is that authenticity matters to you. And, my, and it matters in regards to products, in regards to people, in regards to leadership, but also when it comes to the Christian faith. Most recently, I, um, there's a, a, a company called McCrindle Research. Uh, they, did, uh, they released some research this week after doing some study on the everyday Australian and their opinions of Christianity. Uh, and specifically, uh, the paper was called, it'll come on the screen, hopefully, there we go, Faith and Belief in Australia, a National Study on Religion, Spirituality and Worldview Trends. I'll post up on Facebook after tonight, you have a look at it, it's quite helpful. And specifically, the conclusions that they came across is they were reflecting upon what attracts people to Christianity and what, I guess, uh, repels people from Christianity. And so this is, a, I guess, a graph that will help you see the results they came across the top attractor towards um, Christianity or religion, spirituality, see that, number one, is seeing people who live out a genuine faith. On the reverse, the top, I guess, repellent towards uh, Christianity, uh, as you see down the bottom, is hearing from public figures and celebrities who are examples of the faith. Let me give an example. Uh, you may have heard of a guy called uh, Donald Trump. Um, Hate him or love him. Uh, I don't want to talk about his policies or politics here. But let me just share with you one of his amazing quotes uh, recently. Uh, Donald said uh, this. He said, no one reads the Bible as much as me. 
really, Donald? Like, I'm not too sure. Uh, maybe he does. I could be wrong. But my understanding, I don't know if he's actually telling the truth there. You and I have come across multiple people in our world who claim to be Christians with their words, but don't live out such a way. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. Their behavior does not match their, uh, sorry, yeah, their behavior does not match their beliefs. Authenticity matters, and it matters when it comes to the Christian faith, which is why we're studying the book of James, as Mark has already unpacked for us, because it's a great book about how to cultivate an authentic faith in your life. It really is a good book because it's practical, it's pragmatic, it's like get your hands dirty sort of a book. What I love about this book is that faith is a key theme. It's mentioned 14 times in in the 108 verses. At the same time, the type of faith that he talks about is not like how you believe in the tooth fairy or Santa Claus, one that doesn't make a difference to your life, but instead the one that does make a difference. Maybe you've heard of James' favorite, famous words, faith without deeds is dead. And the reason why this book is uncomfortable in particular, though, is because it's 108 verses and 49 of them have commands. Like, th- this is a book that should make us feel uncomfortable. But it's also a book I'm excited for us to be tackling. You see, I'm excited and I'm nervous at the same time. I'm excited because it's going to change me, but I'm also nervous because it's going to change me. And my hope is that's the same for you too. Uh, tonight, if you're with us and you're a guest, so you're not yet a believer, my hope is that you'll also find this series interesting as you'll come to see and get a picture of what the Christian should look like if they have a genuine faith. And so of all that in mind, I'm going to pray for us before we dig into James chapter 1 and we talk about the relationship between authentic faith and trials. So why don't you pray with me? Father God, as we come to your word right now, Spirit, we pray that you may make it clear to us. We pray, Lord, that we may be not just hearers of the word, but we may be doers. We pray, Lord, that you help us to be like your son, Jesus, and to worship him at the end of this. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, if you've got your Bibles, keep them open. James chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1. It should come up on the screen. Here it is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. Pop quiz. Not a rhetorical question. Who wrote the book of James? James. I'm so proud of you guys. Okay. All right. Who was it written to? That's the second part of verse 1. To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. And maybe you're like, who's that? Let me explain this to you. Uh, James was written about 40 to 50 AD. At that point in time, uh, the Jerusalem church, which is where James was a pastor, was being persecuted for their faith. And so as a result, people were scattering. They were leaving Jerusalem and Israel and going to other cities. So they weren't being persecuted and so they can start a new life. And so James, as a pastor, is writing this letter to those people. They're Christians and they're going through tough times. Let's now have a look at verse 2 as to how I know they're going through tough times. Verse 2 says this, a great verse, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Let me stop there. Uh, the first words you have in a letter or in a book are always incredibly important. Notice James's first words. These first words teach us about his audience. You see, his audience were having trials. They were going through tough times. You see, a lot of these people had to leave their nation, their home, their jobs, their houses, their assets, their income, their family, their friends, to go to other cities and to start a new life. Some of you have done this. It's difficult. 
and you go through many different trials. You can be homesick, but on top of that, you financially, you can be quite poor. And so James, knowing this, writes this letter, begins this letter by explaining to us the relationship between authentic faith in Jesus and trials. And what I, what I love about this passage is that it applies not only to James' original audience, but also to us today. To us today. You see, when, when we look at this passage, in particular in verse 2, I, I think this is like the topic sentence. I think this is like James' big idea for verses 2 to 15. And it's literally my big idea for today's passage, right? If, you're like, if someone asks you what was the sermon about, just quote to them verse 2 of James chapter 1. That's what I want you to remember. That's what I want you to get infused into your brain. What does he say? He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. What I, what I love about this verse is when he says, when, not if you face trials. But what also I love about this verse is he says, various trials. And, and the word there, trial, in, in the Greek, and also uh, the way it means, it can refer to both outward and inward trials of life. And so maybe thinking, so Joel, what, what, is James here talking about when I'm having a difficult marriage? Yes. Is James talking about when I'm just really struggling at work and my boss is a jerk and I just don't want to be there? Yes. Is James talking about any physical health conditions that I'm having at the moment that I just can't seem to kick, that are just making me down? Yes. Is he talking about any mental health issues that I'm going through, depression, anxiety? Yes. Is he talking about the fear that I have of the future and how it's unknown and how that stresses me out? Yes. Is he talking about the fact that life is just not turning out the way I expected it? Yes. This is a passage that applies to James' original audience, but also applies to us today. And what is really incredible I find about this is what he says. <laughs> like, did you notice? He says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. I don't know about you, but uh, whenever I have trials in life, I tend to be miserable rather than joyful. Uh, and so as I read this, I just want to yell out to James and just be like, how? You know, like, like, cause truth be told, I want to, I want to mourn. I, I want to grieve. I want to like curl up in a ball or just yell at people. I don't, I don't want to be joyful. It feels good to be miserable. How? How can you be joyful? Well, thankfully, James doesn't stop there. Thankfully, James, he's like an engineer, he's practical, he's pragmatic, and he gives us verses 3 to 15. And in these verses, we're going to come across four tips which is going to help us to be joyful in times of trial. And so, tip number one that he tells us is this, when it comes to trials, remember that trials can mature us. Remember that trials can mature us. Let's have a look at verses 3 to 4 and what he says. Come up on the screen. It says this, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Uh, I've got two sons, if you don't know me, Elijah, who's five, and, and Isaac, who's two and a half. And, and I still remember when Elijah was learning how to walk. Uh, if you're a parent, you can probably remember this as well. And when kids start to walk, they like finally get standing, and you're like freaking out, and you're like so proud of them, amazed, and you're clapping. And then all of a sudden, they like take one step, and you're like, whoa! And then they take another step, and you're like, yes! And uh, on this day, we had like a coffee table where um, Elijah was walking towards, and he was just killing it, did a few steps. And then out of nowhere, he just like didn't, put his foot down, he just face-planted onto the coffee table. 
Uh, truth be told, we wanted to laugh, but uh, we're parents, so we're like, can't, so we're like picking him up, we're like, ah, you'll be okay, you'll be okay. You know, you know what's interesting, I'm going to say this carefully, because I know some of you here uh, work for docs. Uh, my kids, um, they've they're always got like cuts on them and bruises on them, right? Like they're always hurting themselves. Like literally the other day, Isaac was at our back door and he just like did a forward flip into the garden. It was ridiculous. Um, but like that's natural, right? Like, I'm guessing you've got some scars where you're like, yeah, I know that's the stove, it's hot. Like, you've you got some scars, you're like, yeah, I know that I, need to, I don't need to run on asphalt or I slip with water on the ground. Like, maturity in life comes through some physical struggles, so, some pain. Like, when it comes to life, we're okay with that. We're like, yeah, we learn some lessons, we mature when we go through difficult circumstances. Yet, when it comes to spiritual maturity, like, for some reason, we, we don't think it's the case in that way. I think sometimes we can be fooled into thinking, no, 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 if, if you're someone who has authentic faith, then you won't have any trials. That actually people who go through trials are people who are sinful or, or people who do not have enough faith. And it's just bogus. It's just wrong. You see, what we see here is what James is trying to say to us is, look, whenever you're going through trials, is to remember that God can use this to mature your faith. And so maybe when you're just going through trials, maybe like, you, 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 like literally you've just watched someone being buried or maybe like literally you're, you're mourning the, the, the loss of a friend or you're just having a bad relationship. Like maybe today's Mother's Day and for some of you that's like, yeah, Mother's Day. For others you're like, man, this sucks. My mom's not with me or my mom's terrible or I want to be a mom and I can't be. When, when you go through those trials, what, what you need to remember is that God can use these to mature you. You might not fully understand why, but you can think through and you can tell yourself, you know, it's, it's okay. God is trying to chisel me into the image of His Son. He's trying to grow me. This should, this should be good news for your soul. My hope is, is when the waves of different trials come, that this will be a wall that keeps you strong. That you know that God can work through this. That God can work through this, that there's purpose behind the pain. May we remember, tip number one, when it comes to trials and how do we rejoice remember that god can mature us through them what about tip number two tip number two is that we need to ask god for wisdom we need to ask god for wisdom let me read to you verses five to eight james says this he says if any of you lacks wisdom you should ask god who gives generously generously to all without finding fault and it'll be given to you but when you ask you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. I don't know if you've experienced this, but whenever you have trials, there seems to be one of two options. Number one, you can try and help yourself, self-help. Or number two, you can go to God and have God's help. Personally, I don't know about you, but too often, whenever I'm going through uh, trials in, in my life, maybe I'm freaking out about the future, I'm like, how do I manage my money? Or maybe I'm just, uh, I don't know, my health or different things. What I tend to do is go to Google before I go to God. I wonder if you're the same. Because what James says here is actually what we need to do when we're going through these trials is actually go to God, remember that He's good, remember that He's generous, remember that He's wise, and that He can help us persevere through these trials. You know what I find interesting here as well is James doesn't say, when you go through trials, go to God and ask for knowledge. Instead, he says, go to God and ask for wisdom. For wisdom. 
Let me explain to you the difference between wisdom. There'll be uh, a, a slide that will come on the screen, which I think can be helpful. When it comes to knowledge, knowledge is knowing the truth, while wisdom is knowing what to do with it. Knowledge is theoretical. Wisdom is practical. Knowledge fills your mind. Wisdom guides your life. Knowledge is truthful. Truthful, sorry. Wisdom is useful. Knowledge provides information. Wisdom provides transformation. Knowledge tells you what to believe. Wisdom tells you how to behave. We've got to go before God and ask for His wisdom. Now, don't get me wrong here. I'm not saying never go to Google. All right? like, use Google, but go to God first. If, if you're going through trials or you're unsure of different things, go to God and say, God, can you please give me wisdom? And so I'm clear. God gives us wisdom by His Word. He gives us wisdom by the Holy Spirit. He gives us wisdom through some good general counsel. He gives us wisdom through Google. Don't get me wrong. But go to Him and ask for His direction and His guidance in that. But warning, when you do this, go before Him with faith, believing that He can help you, that He will help you. You see, James says here, when he talks about doubt, what, he, what he's saying is, don't be unstable. Don't be like a wave that is tossed in the sea. Don't go before God proclaiming, yeah, I believe that faith works, but not actually having faith that it will work. Don't go before God and asking for help, not actually thinking that He is the one who's got the most wisdom for your life. I don't know about you, but personally, this, this doesn't happen that often, so uh, I want to make this clear. But every now and then uh, in life, not necessarily pastoral ministry, it could be anything, uh, people will come to me and ask for wisdom. And do you know how frustrating it is when you give that wisdom and the person just didn't really want to hear it, didn't want to believe it or, or apply it? It's the same when we come before God. Like, let's not waste our time. If we claim to be those who follow Jesus, trust in Him and that prayer works, that God is generous and He can give us wisdom, then have faith He'll give you that wisdom. And don't try and search for it in other things first. But ask for His help. Ask for His help. Two number two. Pray for God for wisdom. Tip number three, avoid comparison. Avoid comparison when you go through trials. Let me read to us verse 9 and 11. It says this, Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with the scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their businesses. Uh, recently, uh, Harvard did some study on Instagram, and they're trying to understand what are the results of Instagram and like the use of Instagram. Uh, and what they discovered is in that a lot of people, it leads to depression. It leads to depression. And you're like, how's that the case, Joel? Well, let me explain it to you, right? Uh, this is, a, a, I guess, a, not, a, not a normal day for all of us, but for some of us. Uh, maybe you've uh, been up late watching Netflix, having a binge on some series. Uh, you wake up in the morning, uh, you're in pajamas still, you uh, haven't had a shower, haven't had some good coffee yet, and so you're just feeling pretty miserable. You open up your phone, you have a look at Instagram, and what do you see? You see, like, everyone's marriages are awesome, everyone's kids are obedient. Everyone seems to just be eating at nice restaurants, you know, like no one's taking photos of Maccas and be like, check this out. You know, like what do you see? You see people getting engaged, you see, you know, people graduating, you see people buying houses, you see all these milestones in people's lives and you can just start to compare your life with them and start to resent them. You start to get angry, start to get bitter, start to feel like, well, why hasn't my life turned out like their life? 
and you think, if only I had that, then I would be joyful. Then I'd be joyful. In James' day, the original audience, these guys in particular, a lot of them were poor. Because a lot of them, like I said, left their home country and now they're in a new country. And so they're seeing a lot of these rich people and they're going through these trials themselves. And they're probably thinking, you know, if we just had more money, then, then life would just be so much easier. If we, just, if we just had more riches, then life would be better. And what James says is he comes before them and says, avoid comparison. In particular, for their case, he says, remember that all riches and money will perish. It'll perish. And instead, what he says to them is find your identity in being a son and daughter of Christ. When, when he says here, believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, what he's saying here is that if you're a Christian, you're a child of God. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And remember that things of this world will perish. You see, whenever you go through trials, and I do this, we, we play this comparison game. We always compare ourselves with other people. And so can I plead with your heart as well as my own not to do it? Because it doesn't lead to joy. It just doesn't. Like, like specifically, can I push in on this not to do it? Because it, let me give you a specific example, right? Maybe tonight, if you're someone who's single and you don't believe you have the gift of singleness, so you find singleness a real challenge, a real trial. If you play this comparison game, then what would happen is if, if there's a married couple over here and they love you, they want to encourage you through your faith, you, say, you, don't, you don't say this to them, but basically you don't listen to their wisdom, their advice, and you put up a barrier between you and them because you're like, they don't understand me. They're not in the same position that I'm in. So, so they can't really speak into my life. And then what happens is you're like, I only want to be encouraged and be around other maybe single people who are going through the same trial I'm going through because they can encourage me. And so then you find other single people and you're like, okay, great. These are my people. They can help me through this trial. But then you can go a step further and then you can be like, actually, I don't like being around those people who are content in their singleness and know they're trusting in God and His plan and, and they're encouraging me with James and they're saying, consider it joy. I don't like those people. You know, I want to be around those people who are miserable and bitter and complaining. I want to be around those people because they know what I'm going through. Clearly that person doesn't. They're crazy. C can you see what goes on and on and on? Can I plead with you when you go through trials not compare yourself to others? Not to compare yourself to others. Tip number four. Tip number four. The final one, which is to resist the temptation to sin. Let me read verses 12 to 15. James says this. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love Him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Uh, a few years ago, uh, I received a letter in the mail. <laughs> I very rarely get letters in the mail these days. I don't know about you. Uh, and this one was a bad one. It was from the government, and it was a speeding ticket. Um, and immediately, I was like, it's uh, not me, like, clearly. Like, I don't speed. Must be Emma, my wife. Lead foot, M, must be her. Uh, and so I was straight away like, can't be me. So I looked at the date, and I went to my diary, and like, let's check this out, right? Surely I lent my car to someone else. Uh, and what I discovered, it was a time that uh, myself and Emma and her brothers drove up to uh, Port Macquarie to see Emma's parents. And so I was like, oh, okay, 
awesome. It's probably Emma. It's probably her brother Joe, or probably Dylan. Yeah, it's probably Dylan actually. Definitely Dylan. Um, but then, unfortunately, um, this is a little bit embarrassing. But anyway, as deacons, uh, we like to record a lot of videos of our life, and we create this yearly video just to celebrate it and show to the kids. Uh, but in one of the videos, uh, it has me in the car driving to Port Macquarie, and it has uh, all of us dancing. And then I realized, yeah, no one else drove that day. That was me. That was me. 100% I was the one that was speeding. And I was just dancing, so I didn't see the um, speed camera. I don't know about you, but whenever like, things go wrong, I tend to want to blame other people. Like, it's, not, it's never my fault. You know, I always want to, now I've got kids, I can blame them, it's great, you know, but like, uh, I want to blame my wife, blame the kids, just blame someone else in life, like, I, I, I want to feel the same. I wonder if it worked, the, the default reaction of your heart is it wasn't me, someone else. And I wonder if you're like me at times in life, especially when you go through some bad trials, is what happens is not only do you blame other people, but if you can't blame anyone else, you start to blame God. You start to blame Him. You start to go, God, this isn't a trial, this is a temptation. You're not good, you're evil. What are you doing here to me? We can start to blame God. But even more than that, like I think we can go one step further, can't we, when we go through difficult trials of life, is that we can start to blame God and think He's not good, He's evil. And then we can start to actually sin against Him and say, well, if you're not good, what's the point of following you? I don't think you know what's best for me. I'm going to go live my life and do this. Maybe I'm going to drink a little bit more. Maybe I'm going to stop going around to church and being with God's people. I don't want anything to do with this sort of God. And what James says to us is resist the temptation to sin. Now, truth be told, it's really difficult to discern the difference between a trial and temptation. Matter of fact, in the Greek, the original language of the New Testament Bible, trial and temptation are the same word. Same word. And so the authors, or not the authors, sorry, James, sorry, when, I mean, sorry, translators of the Bible, when they're trying to translate this to English, are looking at this Greek word and they're trying to think, is this a trial or temptation? What's the context here? And it can be difficult to discern. And so in our life, how do we just discern the difference between temptation and a trial? Well, let me make this clear for you. What James tells us here is that God will allow trials, but God will not tempt you. God will allow trials, but God will not tempt you. Have a look at verse 14. You've got your Bible there. He says this, But each person is tempted when they, not God, are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Look, we may not like this, that the source of temptation is ourselves, not God, but it's true. You see, the reason why you're tempted to sin, the reason why you're tempted to rebel is not because of God, but it's because of your own natural heart. No one's telling you to blame other people. That's what's going on in your own heart. And so when it comes to temptation, God is good. God is, there's a trial there, but He's not tempting you. That's the source of temptation. But also, when you look at the results of temptation, it's really important to see this. How he says here, he says, uh, then, verse 15, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and then sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Once again, if you want to be joyful in times of trials, you need to resist the temptation to sin, because if you don't resist the temptation to sin, you're going to give birth to death rather than life. Death rather than joy. Like I said, verse 2 is a big idea of this talk. It's a big idea of this part of Scripture. I hope really it is just like tattooed to your brain. Let me read it to you again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. If you're like, how? Remember that trials can mature you. 
Ask God for wisdom, avoid comparison, and resist the temptation to sin. Resist the temptation to sin. Um, a few years ago, uh, or actually quite a while ago, about 14 years ago, uh, I really wanted a pair of Oakley Sunnies, uh, and I really wanted like some good billabong shorts, like board shorts, uh, and my parents were too cheap, and so they're like, no, it's like $400. They weren't cheap. They're actually mature and, uh, n- you know, normal parents. Uh, but they said to us, hey, we're going to Bali, uh, so why don't you buy some there? And I'm like, oh, sweet, okay. Got over to Bali, and in Bali, Oakley Sunnies and, like, Billabong shorts were, like, a quarter of the price. I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, this is so good, you know? And I'm like, I wonder if they're real, they're fake. And the guy's like, no, they're 100% authentic, authentic, you know? Like, trust me, trust me, you know? You can return them if you want. And I'm like, yeah, okay, no worries. I'll be in Australia, but yeah, all right, sure. Okay. Um, and then weeks to follow, though, I got home, and it didn't take long until those sunnies broke, until those shorts faded away. You know, and I'm guessing you've had a similar experience. Maybe you've been to Bali or somewhere else. Maybe you've ordered something off eBay, and realize that something is not as authentic as what it claims to be because of its quality. When it comes to products where you can test authenticity based on the quality, here's the thing. When it comes to the Christian faith, if you want to test as to whether or not someone is actually a Christian and has authentic faith, see how they respond in trials. See how they respond in trials. There's a, a guy called James, uh, James Powell. He's a, a member of our church. Uh, unfortunately, he physically can't come to church uh, anymore because uh, James is currently pretty unwell. Uh, he's got uh, Crohn's disease uh, plus some other complications with his bowel. Um, James is younger than me, mid-20s, taller than me, but skinnier than me. He's, I think, less than 70 kilos now. He's technically anorexic. Uh, James is incredibly intellectually uh, intellectual, smart guy. He used to be a pilot, was training towards even going further in that field. And yet, James is now on a disability pension and finds it difficult to get a good night's sleep, uh, finds it difficult to leave his house, which is why he can't come to church, which is also why we're starting to do uh, video recording for him. And I get to meet up with James about uh, every fortnight, just to meet up with him, pray with him, encourage him. Um, And truth be told, every time I go there, I'm like, Jesus, help me to encourage this man who's going through such insane suffering that I cannot relate to. And every time I go there, I'm always encouraged because every time I go there, James is just so joyful. Like despite the intense suffering he's going through, he knows that God is good. He keeps on telling me that he has clarity when it comes to God. And it's such a beautiful thing. I was talking to him about this verse uh, in preparation for this sermon. And I remember he said to me after a night uh, where he just couldn't sleep and he ended up just being crawled in a ball for five hours, going through intense pain. And I remember he just said to me, he said, Joel, this is it. This verse is where it's at. That God can mature you, that God can work through this, that God can help you persevere. He said to me, challenge the church to own this verse, to memorize this verse, so you'll never forget it. And so look, church, I know all of you are going through different trials. I know some of you are going through some smaller trials, and others of you are going through some huge trials. Let's not compare them. But we're going through trials. May we remember this verse, may we remember James' example and be encouraged by him that we can do this. But, but finally, let me also remind you of the greatest suffering servant, Jesus. Jesus, who was a better servant and better sufferer, so to speak, than James, because Jesus was fully man as well as fully God. Jesus, who actually was persecuted by his own nation, his own family, such as James, thought he was crazy, 
Jesus who had his friends leave him, abandon him, one of his closest friends, Judas, betray him. Jesus who went through the trials of life as he weeps as his friend Lazarus died. Jesus who was then tortured before he was put on a cross and was crucified. If you don't think Jesus suffered, maybe you've heard of the word excruciating. That word literally means from the cross. It's one of the most excruciating death you could possibly die. And yet Jesus suffered all that, not because he did anything wrong, but because we did. And you know what's incredible is despite all this suffering he went through, in the book of Hebrews, there's this great verse that's an encouragement for us whenever we go through trials, and it teaches us about Jesus and how he went through them. It says this, this should be an encouragement for us as we think about trials. basically says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For, get this, the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And so, so church, can, can I encourage you to, to listen to James' teaching here, to rejoice through trials, to listen to his teaching here, but at the same time, when you fall short... When you complain instead of rejoice, when you compare instead of be content, when you sin instead of be obedient, remember that your salvation is not about how perfect you suffer, but it's about how perfect Jesus did. Remember that He's the perfect suffering servant, not you. But by His Spirit, you can be like Him. Church, can I plead with your heart that the greatest joy, both now and for eternity, is to be like Jesus. It is to consider a joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, we, each of us in this room, are going through different things. Lord, for those of us whose marriages are struggling, for those of us who are mourning the loss of a deaf one, dead one, for those of us who are just finding it really difficult at work, for those of us who are just in mourning because life is not turning out as expected, for those of us who are just anxious and d- down and depressed, for those of us who are just suffering physically or mentally, Lord, remind us, remind us to consider a joy. Remind us, Lord, that you can mature us through this. Help us to ask you for wisdom. Help us not to compare with other people, but be content and help us, Lord, we pray, to avoid the temptation to sin. Keep our eyes focused on Jesus, and we thank you so much for him. We pray this in his name. Amen. We're now just going to have a song before question time.